Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. We begun a series a couple weeks ago, and it is devoted to bringing the change into our lives that we've always longed for. And I think it's a series devoted to explaining, promoting, and advocating living life with the fruit of the Spirit. Ask the person sitting next to you if they know the fruit of the Spirit. Go ahead. But just in case you don't know what the fruit of the Spirit is, turn to Gal- She'll sing it for us. I got your back, Rebecca. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And this morning, I want to speak on how we can become more loving. We'll look at each of the fruit of the Spirit and turn over the course of this series. But I want to offer you hope that you yourself can become a more loving person and that life can be more fulfilling. Says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We know that love is patient. We know that it is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with all the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it too will also pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When we were like children, we spoke like children. When we grew up, we gave up our childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And certainly this is among one of the more beautiful passages in all of the Bible. And it is difficult to overstate the importance of love and our need for love. Love is the third most frequently searched word in the dictionary. And Christianity in particular offers a unique angle of love. An exclusive angle that had we not possessed Jesus' words on love, we would be utterly hopeless. Without love, there is no hope. It's Jesus who tells us that all the commands of the Bible can be reduced to loving God and loving others. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands depend on the law and the prophets. And it's Jesus who tells us to love our enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the power of love. And in preparation for this message this morning, I read an interesting um, article, and it was called The Power of Love. And it was written by Ellen McGrath. And in the opening two paragraphs in this article, she has this to say. She says, Love is as critical for your mind and body as oxygen. It is not negotiable. The more connected you are and the healthier you are, you will be both physically and emotionally right with yourself. The less connected you are, the more you are at risk. It is also true that the less love you have the more depression you are likely to experience in your life. Love is probably the best antidepressant there is because one of the most common sources of depression is feeling unloved. Most depressed people do not love themselves and they do not feel loved by others. They're also very self-focused, making them less attractive to others and depriving them of opportunities to learn the skills of love. McGrath highlights the importance of love by telling us love is like oxygen. But three misconceptions are out there about satisfying that love. First of all, I want to offer you these three obstacles 
that we got to clear out of the way in order to hear God's take on love. Giving and receiving love is challenging for us because we cannot hear the Bible's message on real love. Think of these as removing snow from your driveway so you can back out of your garage on a snowy day. Now, I know we don't have that problem here in Winton, especially the weather now. We can't even think about snow. But this is the illustration it gives us. First of all, romantic love is everything. Our American culture has idolized romantic love. The myth says romantic love is everything. From the earliest of ages, our little girls and our little boys are taught that this romantic love is what you are really looking for. It's all there is. Don't look any further than your own desires. If you find this kind of love, everything else will be fine. We try to build our marriages and our relationships on purely that romantic love or sexual love. But no relationship can be supported by that love alone. If you build your life on that love alone, all you really have is a one-dimensional model of love. And in the end, you'll find this very unsatisfying. God created those acts and wants us to enjoy in its proper boundaries. The Bible points to a higher and more satisfying love than that love we call romantic love. So that's our first obstacle. Realizing that, or trying not to realize that romantic love is everything. Even though it's been ingrained in us for all these years. Romantic love is not everything. Because we know that it is very easy to settle for counterfeit love. The second obstacle formed when people realize that this romantic love cannot pay its bills as our culture advertised. It doesn't live up to the hype. It only satisfies for a brief moment. And then it is fleeting. It says, don't fall in love for real love isn't possible. That's what the world wants you to know. Don't fall in love because real love isn't possible. A recent magazine had a section on secular marriage and it estimates that only 15% of couples maintain lifelong romantic relationships. It is so easy to live with someone for years only to discover what you thought was love, but that was never present. It is so easy to grow up in a house where there was no real love and come away with the cynical view that there is no real love. Candidly, the pursuit of love in a relationship has been so disappointing for so many of you. I've heard stories. You've told me stories. And there's a lot of disappointment. But luckily, there is an answer. There is an answer to this. We need to get away from being 
seduced by counterfeit love. Some in our day are so cynical on love that they feel love is nothing more than an illusion. The pursuit of real love is such a frustrating enterprise given the resources we personally invest in this chase for real love. That's obstacle number two. We need to get away of understanding that it's easy to settle for counterfeit love. And then the third is thinking you know yourself. Thinking that you know yourself. And this is an outgrowth of that cynicism that says real love isn't possible today. Part of the joy of a healthy relationship is the joy of self-discovery. There's just so much of yourself that you discover in a relationship. If you were transported to an island shortly after and became able to take care of yourself around, I don't know, say 13 to 16 years of age, and you lived the remainder of your life like you would if you were inside of a loving relationship, it is not possible for you to fathom to know yourself. If you were by yourself, there's no way you're going to find out anything about yourself. Does that make any sense to you? It should. You cannot find yourself by yourself. You cannot find out who you are without that partner. You do not know who you are in Christ unless... Christ is there with you. There has to be a relationship. Let me show you this in another way. Surely you know love is a highly emotional thing. Ask all married people, right? Love is a highly emotional thing. And the great philosopher, Huey Lewis, said in his immortal poem... In the power of love, the power of love is a curious thing. Makes one man weep and another man sing. Alex, I'll take 80s trivia for 100, please. And later, the poet sings. First time you feel it might make you sad. The next time you feel it might make you mad. But that's the power that makes the world go round. Enough 80s for you. What makes love the roller coaster of emotions? Love is a roller coaster of emotions because it opens you up like no other emotion. Love is intricately emotional because love exposes our true selves and so few other things can. You see, a relationship with someone else acts as a mirror. A relationship with another acts as a mirror to show us our true self. For most, love's attraction is to have another person tell you how important you are and meaningful you are. 
Yet our image of ourselves is oftentimes shattered because we see our warts. And again, a relationship with another acts as a mirror to see ourselves. And love opens up the pathway and and the ability to be involved with someone finding us beautiful, attractive, intelligent. I don't know if I fit any of those categories. I hope so. But that's the point. Part of the joy of a healthy relationship is the joy of self-discovery. Now there's also three misconceptions to giving and receiving love. First of all, again, it says that romantic love is everything. It's easy to settle for counterfeit love and you really cannot know yourself until you're in a relationship. But I want you to kind of bookmark these obstacles because we are going to come back to them. And it's important. Because when we get back to them at the end of this message, it will lead us to one of the most chief obstacles to giving love and receiving love. And it is the title of your sermon this morning. We have to overcome our ego. We have to overcome our ego. Because I want you to discover the power of love by accomplishing that action. First of all, we know that love does move into action. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. But I want you to notice something about this passage in front of you, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There are 15 verbs used to describe love in the original language of the New Testament. There are 15 verbs, but not one adjective. Not one. And as you know, a, here we go, English lesson, a verb is a word that oftentimes describes an action. And love is on the move. Love is on the move. You may not love grammar, but the point is this. Love is not static. Love is not stationary. Here's a translation that preserves the original thought. Love waits patiently. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy. It does not brag. It is not inflated with its own importance. It does not behave with ill-mannered impropriety. It is not preoccupied with the interests of self. Now, love is not less than a feeling, but it is much more than a feeling. Love cannot stay hidden in the heart, for it must be shown. There's also the qualities of love. Love is first described with two positive qualities, and that is patience and kindness. And before Paul rattles off eight negative qualities, 
It's this second negative quality I want you to focus on. It says, love does not boast. It is not arrogant. Call it swagger, boasting, bragging, ego, arrogance, or simply being full of yourself. But for you to experience real love and to experience that love on God's level, you have to find the essence of love. And that essence is simply this. You must first diminish. You must first diminish because love moves into action. And then love hides from the arrogant. Love hides from the arrogant. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, and it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. The Greeks called arrogance hubris, meaning you have had too high of a view of yourself. And when you are self-absorbed person, real love runs from you. It hides from you and conceals itself from you. Self-centeredness is the Zika virus for relationships or the coronavirus for relationships. It's not wanted. It's not wanted. Getting your hands on love for the arrogant is like holding water in your bare hands. You know instinctively that it is harder for a self-important person to find love. You know this inside of you. Your very stomach turns at the thought of self-importance people. Now, few people want to be arrogant, but even fewer people realize that they are self-absorbed. One of the real problems of arrogance is that you're blinded to the very fact of your problem. You should know that almost no one thinks of themselves as self-important. You know that you know that for a fact, don't you? In your relationships that you have with individuals, you know of those few individuals maybe that think that they're better than most, maybe better than you. And it's displayed, but they don't have the wherewithal to understand that that is the way that they are portraying themselves. God says the same thing about us. Let me give you a self-centered test. Take a moment and kind of rank yourself in your head. How self-centered are you? How do you know if you are a self-centered person? Think of a group photo where you are included. The first time you see the picture, where do you look? Where do you look? You look immediately at yourself, don't you? I do. Man, I hope I had, my hair was okay. <laughs> right? You look at yourself. Do you daydream about Winning awards, maybe. Maybe you look back in an old yearbook, look at accomplishments you made. Do you think about those winning ways and you wish you could go back? I can't 
begin to tell you how many movies I watch where the people daydream about going back and, man, if I was back there, we'd take state or we'd do this or we'd do that, right? Self-absorbed. They're self-centered. Wouldn't we rather be the person that doesn't need to be honored? That shows a little humility? Because that kind of humility attracts that true, real love. While the hubris, as we call it, repels love. And two reasons why love runs from the arrogant is because no one likes a boastful or arrogant person. And that's for two reasons. First of all, boasting advertises your emptiness. Your boasting advertises that you have nothing to offer. You ever thought of that before? You're advertising that you you have nothing to give to someone in a relationship. Modern psychologists tell us that boasting is nothing more than an advertisement of your emptiness. The sun does not boast. The mountains do not boast. And the greatness of the mountains and the sun is plain for all to see. And there is no need for either of them to boast about it, is there? In essence, the other thing we need to think about, because when we see arrogant people, how do we view them? Puffed up, right? They're puffed up. They can't do no wrong. But in fact, the Greek word Paul uses for the arrogant in verse 4 suggests being filled with nothing more than air. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 and Colossians 2, 18 talks about boasting and arrogance as being inflated within our own self-importance. They can't experience real love. Such boasting is empty and nothing more than being filled with air. And a moment ago I asked you, how do you know if you are a self-centered person? Here's another test. Are you devastated by someone else's criticism? Are you devastated by someone else's criticism? And if you are, then you're putting too much value on what others think of you. I've had to learn this lesson the hard way. I'm still learning. But does criticism tear you down to the point where you can't even function? Or maybe it sends you into a uh, defense mode where you're like, well, what about you? Arrogance puffs us up. When someone complains about your art, your song, your garden, um, the things that you have in life, then you're probably placing too much emphasis on that art or song or garden or whatever it is you have in your life. If you feel snubbed, then your ego is puffed up. The gospel, the fixed to messed up egos, the gospel has the advantage of telling you you need more self-esteem. The gospel says you're accepted based on Christ's work on the cross. The gospel says you are rewarded for Christ's behavior and not yours. 
The answer to your inflated ego is the cross of Christ. For it's at the cross that your importance and my importance matters less than we think. Now you are free to think less of yourself and of attempting to make a name for yourself. But here's the secret to humility from someone who is obviously still working on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Instead, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility causes a relationship to flourish because it asks the question, what does my friend want? In place of thinking, why doesn't my friend think about what I want? Love moves into action. And it runs from the arrogant. And thirdly, it cherishes humility. By adopting humility, you are removing a major roadblock to giving and receiving true love. Many of you love to measure your progress. And we do this on a day-to-day basis. Many of you use tools available to measure your body mass index. I stopped doing that a long time ago. Because I see mass as a dirty word. But we do. We measure those things. We measure where you assess your body fat. Athletes will measure the size of their biceps. You can even monitor your social media influence over the internet. Well, I got 27,000 likes. I must be doing pretty good. How do I measure my humility? We have to forget about ourselves. You know how the New Yorkers say, forget about it, right? We got to forget about ourselves. Humble people don't talk of their humility. When humility is only in the head, it never makes it to the heart. You have yourself a humble hypocrite, basically. And it's only when you embrace humility in your mind and love humility in your heart that you'll make progress. Notice I said progress, not make it. But you'll make progress towards humility. Humility has to be embraced with both the mind and the heart for you to really make that progress in humility. The saying is, the, pre- the pleasure of pride is like the pleasure of scratching. If there is an itch, one does want to scratch. But it is much nicer to have neither the itch nor the scratch. As long as we have the itch of self-regard, we shall want the pleasure of self Approval, but the happiest moments are those when we forget about our precious selves and have neither but have everything else in our life. We have God, we have other human beings, animals, the garden, the sky, all of those things instead of what I feel I want or what I think I should have. The ego 
as a black hole. And it doesn't matter how much you throw into a black hole, you'll never fill it. Your desire to be recognized is a black hole. It is an itch that will only continue no matter how much you scratch it. I got lots of mosquito bites from camp. I've been scratching. But it's like that. It's where it'll get you. It feels good to scratch, but then what happens when you're done? It still itches. And then it bleeds. And then it does all the things you don't want it to do. Scars. We have to be careful. It's a black hole. But it's when you embrace humility and love humility, you'll not only make progress towards that humility, but you'll be a long way down the road towards experiencing real love. Instead of seeking recognition in a relationship, know you are already loved and valued by Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. You have to know God to truly know yourself. The road to self-discovery starts with God. There's a story about a grandfather who was in, um, I believe it was Houston or somewhere in Texas in 2005. And his name was Otis, and he was a good man and a World War II vet. And his son was on the phone with him when Hurricane Rita was going to hit Houston. So this was back in 2005. And he and his wife were living in the panhandle of Texas when he asked, Are you going to be fine? And he paused to consider that he was talking about because everything was good for their family. And when he realized he was concerned for their safety because of the hurricane... It's then he told him that they were as close to Houston as they were to him in western Kentucky. And both places were around 12 hours by car. Yet you, would, you wouldn't really know this until you've been to Texas. Those of you who've been to Texas, I know Pastor dreads it. He tells me that all the time. But he's got a good reason to be there now. Right? Visit? Okay. Those of you who've been to Texas, some of you love it, some of you don't love it. That's okay. But it's not until you've witnessed the vastness of Texas that you comprehend just how big Texas really is. But you see, this is how it works with humility. You're not going to possess humility until you are awakened to the reality of the God of the Bible. Genuine humility begins with a relationship with God. For you cannot really know yourself until you have seen the face of God. Until you see God, you'll think of yourself as wise, just, holy. You see your life by the illusion that you are competent to run your life. That you can find a purpose big enough to give meaning to your life without God. It's only when you experience the vast holiness, the justice, and wisdom of God that you realize you possess nothing and you are nothing by comparison. 
It was when Abraham really conversed with God that he gained a much richer view of himself. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust, dust and ashes. Again, the road to self-discovery starts with God. The planets will never be in proper order with the sun in the middle of their orbit. And you'll never be freed from the obstacle of self-importance until God is at your center. You'll never know the extent of your ego until you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? A moment ago, I told you love was the third most frequently searched word in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And do you know the first? Pretentious. Pretentious. One who has an exaggerated importance of themselves. By adopting humility, you are removing a major roadblock to giving and receiving love. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. I want you all there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. <coughs> Excuse me. And within those verses, I want you to replace and put your name in front of every verse there. For example, who am I, who am I picking on today? Golly. Golly is patient and kind. Golly does not envy or boast. Golly does not insist on her own way. Golly is not irritable or resentful. Golly does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But Golly rejoices with the truth. Golly bears all things. Golly believes all things. Golly hopes all things. Golly endures all things. It doesn't work, does it? We'd like to believe it does. But it doesn't work. You cannot... Substitute your own name for love any more than I can plug my name in there. But there is one you can insert into the narrative. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. And Jesus endures all things. Jesus does what you and I are incapable of. 
The Holy Spirit enables you to be humble. Love is a choice to meet the needs of someone else with little expectation of anything in return. Take a moment to rate how you're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you in opportunities to love others. And the closer you get to the Savior, the more you realize this one very important thing. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. Amen? Dave, come and lead us. I like your Huey Lewis reference, by the way. Let's stand together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Before we leave today, we have a family coming, seeking membership with the church. I ask the Regert family to come and join me up front. Kids on their way. Kids are on their way. If we do this without them, we'll never hear the end of it. Here they come. There's Aiden. Hi, Aiden. <laughs> And now we're just waiting on the Peapods. <laughs> Braden and Brooklyn. They coming? There they are. All right. The Riegert family joined us in co-op beginning of last year. And they did not have a church family. And we kind of worked with them and talked with them and urged them and prodded them and did everything we could. But to watch the process that they've gone through and see them become closer to the Lord, closer to one another as a family and seeing the things. And RJ already talked to me about already seeking about baptism. So, I mean, this, this is just... This is what we love doing. We love working with the kids and then loving seeing the parents and... And, and, and that whole dynamic. So this is wonderful for us. I'm sure it's wonderful for them. But we want to say uh, welcome. What say you? Yay. Bring them in. All in favor? Aye. And there it is. Okay. So before you leave today, please welcome them into the family. Let them know how glad you are for their decision of joining us and getting to work right away, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, I know Lisa was going to get some kids. I know they want to, there's a couple kids that wanted to share a couple Bible verses. So if you'll hang tight for just a minute, but we'll go ahead. We'll pray to dismiss, but if you would, please just kind of hang out for a minute. Uh, so Lisa can get those kids. They'll do their verses and then we'll take about a five minute break. Yeah, you are. You're, he's one of them. So take about five minutes after that. And then we'll go into our business meeting. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you so much for your love. That the opportunity that we have to be witness to families coming together in Christ, to watch 
you put your hand on things, Lord, and, and realize it's nothing that we do. It's only through your grace and through your mercy that we see these wonderful things happen. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to come here to learn about you, to love you, to give you praise. Thank you for the opportunities that you do give us, that we're allowed to even be a minor part of your kingdom. And even so, you love us all the same, no matter who we are, what we are, what we've done. Lord, you love us. And that's demonstrated through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for our time together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.